Okay, here we go now. Well, welcome to Old Dog New Tech, the podcast that explores edtech ideas, innovations, and integration methods from the experienced old dog side of things. My name is Jeff West, and I've been a K-12 music educator for 27 years, and I am passionate about edtech. I love using it. So let's get started at taking a look at how this can be used in your classroom. Welcome to episode 42 of Old Dog New Tech. It's been a while since I've talked to you, so I have prepared a what I think is going to be a three-part uh, series and kind of a update on where I am with reflection and particularly discussion um, because I really made an effort at, this year at fostering and developing discussion abilities of my students because I noticed that they needed um, some way to develop a better recall of things that we had worked on in rehearsal. So I'm thinking that this could transfer to your classroom, but you're going to have to be the person that makes the decisions on that. You know, how does it transfer if it does? So again, you know, I, I uh, am working with uh, grade 9 through 12 um, high school band students, and they work very hard and they will demonstrate understanding in developing techniques, but then that doesn't always last and they don't always recall um, the rehearsal of the past and then transfer it when we change pieces or change. We might be playing a different concert and preparing a different concert or performance, but a lot of the techniques should transfer. And, you know, as I looked at it, and I always working to get them to be the a professional in some sense of the word, some way, somehow, whether they go on and become a musician or just play for fun or don't play at all, a lot of the techniques that they develop as a musician transfer into other careers. And so I was concerned that I, I found myself just reteaching and reteaching and never going a little bit further in, or deeper into my subject. And that uh, often is the difference uh, in, in a group that plays good and enjoyable and a group that is at, at a top notch or is achieving at a higher level and thus receives a, a better rating at a festival. So, and I know there are other variables there. You, you're counting on judges who are just seeing you for the first time and hearing you 15 minutes, and uh, but you've got to be ready, you know, to perform. So I, I knew that in the long run, my students needed to be able to recall information. And then make it their own and perform I guess is the best word I can come up with and make it work for them because I think that's one of the coolest things about music is that we all have different levels of talent and different ways of learning and different ways of having something be meaningful to us uh, and different levels of that. But somehow all of those variables come together to make a great performance, which is much like working together in a group at a job to get a particular thing made or or service 
delivered. You know, you're, you're using some of the same functions, but you're just using different content. So I decided um, as I would ask questions for reflection and hearing those just dull silences and nothing much coming from students or having four or five be the primary deliverers that we I needed if I was going to see a group growth that I the group needed to be able to discuss and evaluate and do this fairly quickly because you know you only have so much time in a rehearsal so I decided to commit myself and the class to developing discussion techniques and being able to um, quickly evaluate and discuss because really it is very quick. Once you learn the content, uh, particularly with music, then you should be able to uh, apply it regardless of what piece or what time and so forth. But if you're not, if you don't have that communication skill, then you're stuck in the mud. And that's where we were. So how did we get unstuck? Well, to begin with, I have a few underlying premises to what we do, to what I do in my classroom. Number one is I know my students want to be good. They want to be good musicians, but they want to be good people, and they want to have a reputation for being a good person. They want to have a reputation as being a good band uh, or being a good student or uh, and whatever variables describe it fit that good. You know, do you try hard, but maybe the grades aren't always there? Or, you know, are you good and your grades are high? And, you know, those, those types of variables. And each student has to make those decisions on their own. But I know they want to be good. So even when they're less than an engaged or seem to be distracted by so many of the social things that are going on in their lives, getting them centered back on what our goal is and our purpose comes back to, if you want to be good, then here's what you have to do. And that's where I kind of put myself as the older dog there, you know, the old dog. Here's what I've seen work. Here's what the researchers say, the scholars say, this is how to do it. And by doing that, we started to foster a relationship of accepting our times when we weren't at our best and then getting back to our best. Now, this didn't come overnight, but it did come pretty quickly. And I'm going, and so in this first part, I'm going to be talking about the, the early stages of developing discussion techniques with the class with my bands, I'm going to uh, kind of highlight a few of the tech things that I did, but mostly in the area of tech, I'm going to be talking to you about research, things that I did, uh, articles I read, uh, books that I read, and borrowed questions to kind of prime the pump, to get them thinking. And then once I had those answers, that's where my first discussions came from. Think about that a minute. So it wasn't really a discussion. 
that built the discussion techniques early on. It was a survey. It was getting them to reflect. So the another uh, underlying point of this is that as we did the discussions, even early on, I was committed to making sure they understood that once they demonstrate their learning, in other words, you get a, an acceptable grade, an A or B or whatever that is, and you have shown that you understand what you're doing, it becomes your responsibility to repeat it. Not to have to relearn it again. Not for the teacher to present it again and again and again. Maybe the teacher should recall it for them and help them recall it. But once learning takes place, it becomes a responsibility. So they want to be good. And part of being good is that they have to understand that once they learn something, it's a responsibility. I used to say, you know, once you put your shirt on and you got taught how to get dressed, you, you know, people didn't need to come in and show you how to tie your shoes again and again and again, did they? No, that became a responsibility because you wanted to look good. You wanted to dress yourself and have your own choices. And music is kind of the same way. And I think anything, any subject in school has the same um, characteristics. So, lastly, discussion I felt was going to help the recalling of knowledge to make it become their knowledge and not my knowledge that I keep giving to them. And once you start this this process i'm finding now as i'm in kind of the third part of the of the uh of this podcast will be about where i'm at now and what i am witnessing that i have gone through a, a few stages so um when i come back here in this next segment i'm going to uh, highlight a few of the articles and books and things that i read and some questions and give you some ways uh that you can incorporate tech to get your answers quickly and in a way that then you can manage the data. So I'm sure we all want our students to, you know, just answer every question. You want every hand shooting up every time you ask a reflective question or any question for that matter, but it just doesn't happen. And I don't think it's happened ever in my 27, 28 years of teaching. There's always a few who are your leaders and your quick answerers and don't mind, you know, putting themselves out there right or wrong. And then there are those which tends to be a larger percentage, I'm sure you've noticed, that just never answer questions. Eyes are looking at their shoes. Um, or somehow all of a sudden they, they need to go to the bathroom. So what do you do? How do you how do you get your class or a group of people? to start answering and participating. And because we know as educators, when that happens, you get more ideas and then they start to assign that in you know, their memory and they learn it and it becomes a deeper sense of learning. And even as a teacher, I learn from my students and their answers and what, and I learn about them, but I also just learn about life. And so how do we get there? Well, here's my, here in this first podcast of three about, uh, my fostering discussion 
my early steps had a lot of failures. Okay. A lot of failures. And you have to almost kind of hunt around until you find that light switch. You find that time that works, that grouping. And there are a lot of articles and books and suggestions. You know, if you go on Twitter and look it up, you're going to get a lot of different posts. Um, the ones that worked for me. Well, actually, it's not just one or two. There were several, but they all kind of centered in a particular style of questioning that was digging at finding out about your students. I think they they don't feel comfortable speaking because, number one, maybe they don't know each other as well, but even more, they don't know you. And they don't know what your response is going to be. Uh, and in their world, judgment is a huge piece of the pie. They don't want to be judged as less. They want to be judged as smart and good. And so a lot of the questions that I started out with went to building the relationship so they would feel comfortable exchanging their feelings with me. Because in music, we're definitely dealing with feelings quite a bit. Um, and sometimes they don't feel comfortable commuting, communicating those feelings because they don't know what those feelings are. They don't know necessarily how to communicate them. They recognize things, but they how to put that in words is a challenge. So the early questions were building the relationship, and then I would kind of help them mold what they were thinking and the questions uh, that I would ask them and things we would discuss would be focused on those subjects because they do know themselves. All right. And you also set some ground rules, you know, uh, the openness, the, uh, there are no stupid answers or there's no, you know, if you're wrong, how you frame your response as a teacher is important, um, to say that, is on the right track but it's not quite there yet or maybe you say whoops that's not that's not what i meant to ask you then let me ask my question in another way and bring the fault back on you um, i don't have a problem being wrong and i don't think most teachers do we don't i don't think anybody likes it when people point it out but we don't mind it if we if we handle it ourselves so i try to handle when a student gets an answer that's maybe not anywhere close to being correct, maybe I, I ask another question to kind of get them to dig a little bit deeper and kind of change, and then they, they start to see what I'm talking about. So sometimes the problem's on my end. But you definitely lay those ground rules of discussion. And there are many articles about how to do just that. What do you do? There's a Edutopia article uh, that I used and I'll put it in the show notes called Scaffolding Student Reflections and Sample Questions. And it goes through the benefits of reflection and gives you different levels at uh, where the student is at before the learning and while the learning and so forth. And what the, how to get them to reflect. Maybe your classroom lends itself to uh, blogging or um an online asynchronous or synchronous discussion. 
Mind does not. Mind is definitely much more verbal. It's, it's, it's easier since we already have instruments in our hands. It's difficult to put those down and pick up the technology. But I do that, I and I allow that in my rehearsal plan or lesson plan. So um, my students know that if I put something down on the agenda, which is posted, uh, projected on the screen from my computer, um, that it says Chromebooks, because that's what we have, or I say go to and answer this form. They can usually use their phones, which they're all very adept at using. And they know that's coming. So I, I plan it. And I'm committed to making sure that I have the right amount of time for them at least to answer the question. If And then maybe we continue the discussion the next day. And then I also can pull that up later without, you know, much time at all out of rehearsal. I just click and go back because I use Google Slides and I can put those answers in the slide and just go right to that slide and say, remember the other day we were talking this and here's what we kind of felt like we wanted to do and so here's how we need. And then once I get their answers from uh, surveys or questions, then I'm able to kind of focus them back in on following what I refer to as my advice, but really it's my instruction. So I will often call it advice because they're getting old enough. They need to make the decision to follow it. And if they don't, then I also say, okay, then you may not be as successful. Um, and kind of give them the choice. Whereas say 15, 20 years ago, early in my teaching, it was do it because I said so. And students were raised, I guess, to follow that. Um, not all of them did, but most of them did. And I know when I was in school, it was you do it because I said so. And we did, and it worked. It had its weaknesses, just like today's has a um, method that I'm talking about has weaknesses, but we have to overcome those. And I think that's the key is having the abilities to overcome them and adapt. So if you take a look at the articles like the one I'm mentioning, and I'll put it in uh, in the show notes. In this article, they also have um, discussion guidelines. And there are several guidelines. Let me see here. One, two, three, looks like eight. Eight different little guidelines with uh, bullet points. And they have discussion stems like I believe, dot, 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 I think, in my opinion. You know, maybe that works in your classroom and then they write it or they type it or they fill it out. You put it in a, a Google form and they fill that out and then you can put that in a spreadsheet. And if you collect their email addresses and their names and so forth, you can see where each student is. And then maybe that allows you the time, and this is what I did early on in class, to go back and in those last five minutes when things are being put away, you're kind of closing down. Some are done with work and some are finishing up. Those that are done, you go up and say, hey, I, uh, I saw that you answered that you believe this. Uh, you know, I kind of believe the opposite or I believe the same. Or And, and just saying, that's fine. I like that you put that down because I like to see opposite opinions. Fostering discussion. Building that trust with the student 
now that they can talk to you and you're not going to say, well, you're just wrong. That was just, you know, I think teachers are pretty smart not to do that. But this is a way to incorporate that. This is a way to to talk with your students a little bit and have something to talk about. So that's a, an, an edutopia. And actually, the discussion guidelines from edutopia are on a Google Doc that you can um, put in your drive, which I find, of course, very cool because I love Google Drive. All right. Some questions that I use at the very beginning, and these are from uh, George Kuros. I read his Innovative Mindset book, and I follow him on Twitter. I will read these questions to you. What are the qualities that you look for in a teacher? Kaboom. You're going to find out about how you line up right away. What are you passionate about? Again, these are for the students. What is one big question you have for this year or the grading period or class? What are your strengths and how can we utilize them? And five, what does success at the end of the year or class or you know grading period, you get the idea. What does that look like to you? Five questions. And then I use those to go back and talk with my students. Not from the front of the room to everybody. Not at first. No, individual. Individual. What that did was built the relationship of trust, and I started to see those students becoming less intimidated about speaking out in a discussion in the full class. I also found them asking me questions when they had them because I knew they had them because I could tell by their performance that things weren't going the way they wanted. Take a look at that. I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes. That it worked and continues to work for me. I use that at, in every class, and I often review them uh, with band because band runs all year. And I'll often review them to see where we're at and not if kids have changed their answers a little bit. All right, so in the next segment, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, styles of discussion and a couple that I have used in class uh, here at the very beginning to begin the fostering of discussion ability. Okay, so... What things I did, and here's where tech starts to come back in a little bit, more than just the research part, uh, part but that's definitely a big part of this segment here. Um, if you haven't uh, listened to Jennifer Gonzalez's cult of, um, <laughs> sorry, I was reading. All I can hear is cult of personal pedagogy, cult of personality. My music is coming out here. Cult of pedagogy up. Uh, podcast, you should do so. It's a, an excellent podcast. Um, but she also on her website has the big list of class discussion strategies. And you should take a look at that if you're if you're trying to foster a little more discussion. And I think discussion is definitely a key role and it plays a key role in getting students to, you know, get some deeper learning um, and have it stick with them. 
a, a couple of the things that I did. One particular is kind of a, an adjusted, what is called fishbowl, where you would have a discussion group in the middle and people would watch the discussion and maybe, you know, make some notes on it or, or, or respond in some, some way. But you'd have some four or five students that discuss and aren't afraid to discuss uh, in front of others. What I did was I took my section leaders at marching camp, marching band camp, and I started to ask them, all right, what do we need to do today? And they were just so awesome in telling me the things that we they felt their sections needed. And most of the time it's lining up with what I would have done anyway. Uh, so I'm trying to facilitate the learning more instead of direct it. And which kind of goes against, you know, my, I'm a band director. Uh, and yes, I am, but I'm now uh, trying to facilitate a lot more than I direct. There are times where it has to be me. It just has to be. I'm the person with the experience in the, in the higher level playing and performing, and I'm trying to pass that along. However, the, most of my students have been playing long enough that they're starting to close in uh, some of them as being, being able to play in any group that I would be able to play in. Um, others are still aspiring, and, and then, of course, there's that whole fun aspect. They're just trying to enjoy their, their time. But my section leaders tend to be those that are closing in on or capable of playing right along and uh, playing at a high level um, as I would. So I went to Twitter. I've been trying to use Twitter more. And uh, I'm still trying to, but I'm, it's a difficult task for me because it doesn't always lend itself, but particularly to broadcast. So um, after calisthenics at camp, I'm just some light stretching in the morning, we'd go to eat. But as we're heading to breakfast, I pull the section leaders up and say, okay, what do we need to, to work on? And one time I said, hey, how does this circling up benefit us? Because we'd circle up and talk because we hadn't done a whole lot of that. It had been mostly me directing them and then them just saying, okay. And uh, we basically had about a five-minute discussion of what they liked about it and what they'd like to see. And there was some, some you know, they're goofing around stuff because they're kids and we were having fun. But there were some really, really good thoughts that came out of that. And then... Uh, all the rest of the band was able to watch that. And I found that that came out a lot more uh, powerful than I thought. At first I thought, I, I knew it would be fun and they would enjoy that aspect. And I asked them before we did it, I said, does anybody mind if I just broadcast this and put it up on Twitter? And they were good with it. And uh, it was powerful because other students who were not leaders, uh, or rather, let me say that the right way, they were not um, uh, voted, elected, selected to be a section leader, saw that, and th they said something just in passing. And then, so that means they, they watched it, and they got something out of it. And they started counting on those leaders. And I saw them take over and be able to run things. And then there was discussion amongst the sections led by my section leaders, which was a mind-blowing experience for me 
mostly because I, you know, again, come from a time where the teacher said it and you did it and you might ask them a question, but there wasn't a whole lot of discussion because you were just doing it because they are the professional and they said that's the way it is. But now I'm fostering, I'm still utilizing that, that skill of mine to be the director, but I'm directing them a bit. And so if you did that early on in your class, you know, do this kind of fishbowl thing. Maybe you want to just circle your class around it and have your five or six discuss a, a topic to demonstrate how discussions work. Because um, I think we assume that because students talk so much, they know how to discuss. But they really don't. If you listen and if you think back to when you were a kid and the things that you thought were so important and you're discussing them, quote unquote, were they really, you know, were you really right? Whether, you know, and the things you were discussing were social things that maybe in the long run weren't all that big of a deal. But when we're talking about content and trying to learn and develop people, you know, this is this is big time. This is important stuff. So you want to make sure, you know, that they're learning how to discuss so they can see how it's done if they use a fishbowl. Um one, uh, another kind of quasi one that I use um, is, I believe it's called snowball discussion, where they begin in pairs responding to discussion questions only with a single partner, which kind of worked for me because the students are typically beside people. And... Uh, in a line in the marching form. So again, I'm still in the fall, but also when we would warm up. And so I would have them discuss with the person left and right and, and, and kind of just snowball, grow their circle and find people that kind of agreed with what they were saying. And, and I made it fairly simple to find similarities. There, there weren't a whole lot of areas for them to wander to where someone would be standing alone and not have a snowball, not have, not have partners in their opinions, in their discussion. And so, again, this doesn't exactly go by what this is, but um, what this snowball discussion technique is. But, but once they saw that there were the section leaders could lead discussions and they trusted and felt comfortable talking with them. Then section leaders were able to pull in more of the section and then they, you know, they like each other. And so they're talking and focusing and people are, uh, uh, stating the, the focus of whatever that rehearsal time is about. And supporting each other by telling each other the things very shortly, they kind of developed their own technique of discussing and reinforcing the skills that we had been working on and working together to help each other get better. It just sort of happened. Now, I can't say any one thing of what I'm talking to you about here today uh, was more important than another. I think it goes back to those first things I mentioned in the first section of segment of this podcast. They want to be good. They want to have a reputation for being good. And they want their group to be good. 
And once they got comfortable enough to talk with each other and they knew what they were talking about and how to communicate, then the discussion started to grow. And they start, and they become deeper here as the months progressed. And I'll be talking about that in the next couple of uh, podcasts. So tech-wise, and this is kind of the tech tree portion, what, what do you use? What do you do? I uh, obviously use Google Forms, especially for the George Carreros five questions. So I have that data. But sometimes it's not important to do that. So Answer Garden is excellent. It's a word tree builder. You ask them a question, write down the three things. Right. Now, one thing that you'd really like to see yourself get better by the two days from now or today or something like that. And then you put that up as they're answering and the words come up as an as a tree, word tree, and they get larger with the more people that put down the words. Now, I, another aspect of this that I think is really cool is they would start to put down funny answers. And I watched them filter themselves because they could you know be really inappropriate students can be and answer garden gives you the capability if you are worried about the, uh, an inappropriate answer of you filtering them first of you getting rid of it i was able to go on there and click it while the student saw the answer but you can also delay the answers and then uh, you know delete one that you don't want to be projected up on the screen But they were filtering themselves. There were some funny one-liners that totally were not connected to the concepts we were working on. But they were funny. And everyone started to enjoy the humor. And I saw that bring the group closer together. And again, I think that was an aspect that made my discussion uh, focus more effective is that then I was able to facilitate that and they were able to see me laugh and smile as well and not always just be the sheriff. Google Forms, <laughs> excuse me, and Answer Garden. Those are two, two tech tools that you should take a look at for your early development if you're going to start working on de de developing discussions and you want them to go better sorry about that those are two tools i used a lot and of course then twitter you might try that maybe your students are ready to go further than that you can have them find someone and do a twitter broadcast of a quick discussion and they don't have to do it in front they could do it wherever they're comfortable at just have them put it on have them put it on twitter have them, have them develop their own video. If it's if it's being in class in front of people and they're just not quite ready for their, for that type of sharing, I I find, and you're going to find if you listen to all three segments of this. When I get to the third, there's going to be some really uh, incredible developments that I didn't anticipate, and I think that's why. That's probably the one closing thought is that you're going to get more out of committing to developing these skills with your students than you think you are. And they are too, of course, because you're, you're developing that. But I have gotten so much knowledge and relationship with my students 
that I don't think I would have gotten had I just continued with same old, same old. Hey, have a good week. Check out some of uh, the articles. Try the tools. Leave me a review. Send me an email about how your discussions are going. Maybe we should uh, connect our classrooms. I think that's an up-and-coming thing. Most of the articles I'm reading are saying this connected classroom, getting easier. Love to do it. Have a good week again. Um, My next podcast will be coming out a lot quicker uh, than the week off that I took. You take care now. This has been Old Dog New Tech with Jeff West. You can reach me at olddognewtech10 at gmail.com. That's olddognewtech10 at gmail.com. Send me an email or leave me a review on iTunes. And remember, when integrating tech into your classroom, don't try to be perfect. Just be patient.